everyone. This is JVL here with my best friend, Sarah Longwell, publisher of Bulwark. Sarah, good morning. Hey, best friend. How you doing? Great. Got my basketball hoop installed. Oh, yeah. Great. It's everything I ever dreamed it could be. I'm really, I'm really happy for you. I, I wish you didn't live in New Jersey so I could come play. Someday. Someday. Maybe, maybe as a Christmas present, or maybe like if you hit some big life milestone that, that deserves a gift, I will send you the video that my son took of me yesterday dunking. <laughs> because let me tell you, it is hilarious. How's your back? How are your knees? The back is the real problem. Yeah. The back is the real problem. Uh, and I should say it was on eight feet. It was not <laughs> it was on the full <laughs> 10 feet. We lowered it down. And the first dunk attempt is wow. That's funny because I would never do that. I mean, now we're at the age of like reaching for a shirt in the drawer is dangerous for your back. So (laughs) dunking out of the question. I got something for you. So Mm -hmm. I took my kids to a baseball game last night, the Nats game, and it went to 10 innings. I hope you stayed for the whole thing. With a walk off home run for the Nats to win. Which I listened to on the radio on the oh, way home with oh, the kids in the car. Uh, but it was still it was still pretty cool. Who hit the who hit the walk off? Okay, so I don't know any of our team <laughs> names anymore. <laughs> They're all different. It's like all new people. Uh, so somebody, but it, you would have loved it. It's like a magical story of some kid who just got called up from AAA. That's great. Uh, and and did your kids enjoy it? Did they have a good time? The older one did. The older yeah. one could like. We 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 talked a lot about the rules. The younger one just. How late did you stay? Because that's uh, past the bedtime for both of those guys. Wait, it was a four o'clock game. Started early. Okay. Okay. This is so still great. We left. left eh, Seven forty-five. It was. Oh, it's going. So glad. We were late. But anyway. See, the beauty of baseball is that when you've got young kids who don't care about the game, you can just ply them with Cracker Jack and cotton yeah, candy, right. and there's so much to do, and you. The fact that they can make as much noise as they want without getting shushed because it's a ballpark is mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. a big attraction, mm-hmm. right? And then you get up and walk around and buy them a big foam finger. and It was a good time. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay. I <laughs> there, there are two main things I want to talk about today. The first is uh, Joe Biden and semi-fascism and his speech last night, which you watched and I did not. Sorry, I was doing other things. Uh, I was out shooting baskets. To be clear, I didn't watch. I I was I listened to the walk off home run and then changed the channel. Um, The walk off home run occurred around 802, I think. Um, And so I missed the first part of Biden's speech and then um, heard the rest on the radio. Uh, and what the particulars of the speech are not important, I don't think. Uh, what's important is the the idea of pivoting in in a way to a rhetorical confrontation with Trumpism. Uh, and the other thing I want to talk about is uh, the DOJ investigation of Trump because I taped uh, I got to sit in for Charlie yesterday mm. and I interviewed James Carville, uh, our friend and in addition to getting a good 10 minutes of watch talk at the end of the show, <laughs> which was so great, uh, we, we talked a lot about the DOJ stuff, and he had some thoughts that I would like to run by you. Okay. Um, so let's let's start with, with Biden. He 
he trotted out, I guess it was last week. Maybe it was earlier this week. Time is a flat circle. Uh, the idea that what we're, what we're seeing is almost semi-fascism. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has made people very upset. And uh, out on the telegrams and the getters and the truths, they are talking about a class action defamation and slander suit against him. And because he has just said that these seven, now, I might be wrong, Sarah, but I think these are the same people who call everybody they disagree with a groomer and a pedophile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that, do I have that right? <sighs> you do. And, and here's the thing. We win. And a Marxist and no, a socialist. No, no, no. Yeah. Listen, we win all the whatabouts. Uh, like the, the, there, there is a strain of, I know ga- gaslighting is an invoked term because it's a thing that happens a lot. Uh, like Molly Hemingway going on Fox News or um, that former real world guy, Sean, who was then the congressman, whose wife was also on the real Duff. world, who's now Duff. Sean Duffy, 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 Sean Duffy. They go on TV and they say, Donald Trump never did anything like this. I mean, Joe Biden saying semi-fascist is worse than anything Donald Trump ever said. Mm. Or, or Donald Trump had never dismissed a whole category of people. He was hard on individuals, but he never he never slandered a whole category. Of yeah, people. Mexicans. Muslims, for instance, Muslims, never Trumpers, human scum. I mean, like the these, press, like this journalists. Is, I mean, I, like you, you have to um, I, look. And this is this is it. I mean, there's 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 also like the baseball cranks of the world. Dan, whatever his name is at NRO, uh, who, you know, claim that, uh, you know, we're it's always it's always what about Trump? That's our only argument what about Trump. And And for me, it's actually. There, there is the what about Trump, of course, but the what about Trump isn't actually about Trump. It's about the people who carried water for Trump, who think they now can still have the moral authority to criticize Joe Biden while they totally either sat there silently or endorsed Donald Trump as he did things that are not even on the same planet um, as what Joe Biden's doing right now. Joe Biden is is I think pressing into the edges of things that normally presidents wouldn't do. Um, but part of that comes from the fact that Donald Trump obliterated whatever norms and lines we had. But I also want to be clear about something. This is me. This is institutionalist me, is that I dismiss all of those people with prejudice. I also still don't love it. I don't like it coming from I don't I don't love a lot of the Biden stuff and not not the actually the semi-fascist thing. Here's the thing. I actually think it's quite important that Joe Biden um, articulate clearly what is happening with his opponents. And I think that their attempt to separate sort of Republicans of good faith uh, and regular conservatives from MAGA Republicans is good. It's 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 they sh- that's that's fine. I think that the problem is is that they just don't do it as effectively as they need to. And this is where everyone's going to be like, "What do you expect? You can do. I know you do this. You will stand Biden." Uh, but look, I there's a lot of talking about like the Marines last night standing behind him. Um, and I'm not one to like know a lot about the norms of this, but perfectly sensible people that I respect seems to think that's the kind of norm violation. Uh, and I just think if you're going to criticize the other side validly with you and absolutely should, like you have to be perfect 
in your own sort of norm adherence. Um, and if not perfect, at least like very, very, very good. Uh, and so I think my and, and the other thing is you you didn't. So I, so I was listening to the speech on the radio. I mean, he, this is and these are these are these are style, not substance. But I have I have concerns on both style and substance. The style. I mean, he is difficult to listen to. Like, I am so desperate for I think we do need big speeches about democracy. We do need to be clear eyed about the domestic threat. And he is just so difficult to listen to. He is he the speeches are not good. I mean, on the on the substance, it both had uh, there was like a weird at the end. He starts talking policy uh, when it was supposed to be a speech about democracy, uh, in which case you start to conflate the policy elements with uh, sort of the, the democracy danger elements, which I think is a bad thing to intermingle because the policy fights are all in bounds. The democracy stuff is not. So um, I just I think this is I think what they're doing, I think they are getting close to, to the place where they should be. Uh, but I still think that they don't they don't nail it. They don't stick the landing. And I, I, I wonder. I'm not sure about this yet. I wonder about if you're going to do it not particularly well, I I almost am not sure you should do it at all. Like, let somebody else make the case. Like, I sometimes people write in and they're like, what does Sarah want him to do? She says, you need to hear from Biden more. And then she says, you know, it's bad when he does it. And actually, I think that tension is real um, because <laughs> I, 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 I think that I do think that a president, I think he should be capable of doing this. I actually think it's quite it's like not that hard to sort of point out where the 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 Trump wing of the party has gone off the rails. And I just think that when Biden does it, they just they never quite get there. And it is frustrating to in this moment have people who are ineffective communicators uh, and unable to sort of meet the threat where it is. But feel All free right. to push back on that. All right. I'm, I'm going to swerve and yeah. I'm going to push back on this in a way you don't expect. OK. And I, I want to preface this by saying I'm just thinking this through for the first time. All right. I'm, I'm not committed to this position. But on the other hand, uh, in general, I don't know that I want the president making these arguments, period. Yeah. Because the president has to be the president for all the people. This right? is interesting. And I'm, that, I'm, okay. This is good. That Biden's. Biden's role is to be the guy who is there to hug it out with everybody and to say to the semi-fat, because here's the thing. It isn't just the whataboutism, like just on the substance, he's correct. Sure. This is semi-fascism. Like the the diagnosis is absolutely correct. Totally agree. Um, But the problem, Damon Leaker wrote about this the other day. The problem is that uh, these aren't a bunch of opponents who can be defeated. They are our neighbors and uncles and people we see down at the Elks Lodge and whatnot. And the answer to it is not to to beat them, but to hug it out with them and get them to just like step back into the light with us and to stop seeing the world in apocalyptic terms. And I would rather the semi-fascism stuff be delegated out to people who aren't the president have have mayor pete go out and give that speech or some version of that speech right uh have i mean you know 
if you had a vice president who was capable of doing that stuff, have have Vice President Harris go and do that if if you want to. Um, I don't know that I like the idea. And again, I'm not committed to this. People are going to say, and, and honestly, people like us should be doing it, right? This is, I mean, this this is what like the bulwark serves the function of is to go out and make these cases in the world. I, I kind of feel like Biden's job is not to do that. Um, is that I, wrong? I, no, is that you are, you're right. And and now this is my position. You have that clarifies, I think, for me, the uncomfortable feelings that I've been having about it, where it's like, yeah, this is true. I agree with you, Joe Biden. And like people should say it. And I would like the president to give a big speech on democracy, the importance of democracy, why we need to protect it around the world, who we are. But the attacks never quite feel right to me, in part because I think he's delivering them poorly. But I but I actually think that what you're saying is the main reason. The rain, main reason that I'm uncomfortable is that what you really want from the president is for him to be the one that's like, we can do better than this, guys. Doesn't have to be like this. Like, yeah, we can you gotta get call there. people up. That's right. right? You Not call, call people up. out. You got to call them up. That's right. Yeah. I agree with this. So that's, again, and and look, we could talk about this next week after I've thought about it for more than 30 seconds and maybe I will change my mind. But uh, no, I don't change your mind. I you've I, I this is I think this is really right. Um, and it, it feels like an implicit criticism of Biden. Um, and I think on some level, right, there's a there's a can't win for him because. Oh, yeah. Because like even us, like we're kind of like, oh, somebody like we need at the highest levels for somebody to be pointing out that. You know, we're under serious threat here, like meet the moment. But I, I think that uh, that the way that Biden meets the moment is 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 the calling up, not calling out. And I think and your point about Pete and this is when when people are like, sir, you know, you say eh, we don't hear from people enough. One of the things that I I think there's been a tension of um, this whole time is that Biden, I've I realized a long time ago, like Biden just wasn't capable of doing the thing that I I think needs to happen, um, which is that there needs to be a for, these forceful voices out there saying both selling the policy agenda, selling the wins, um, saying, hey, we did this, you know, painting an optimistic vision. Uh, and it, in the beginning, I was saying Biden should do that. But it became clear to me pretty quickly, like he was not capable of doing it effectively. And so there needs to be a lot of surrogates. Like the thing that mystifies me actually is not really Biden. The thing that mystifies me is where everybody else is. And one of the reasons that there is often when people are like, OK, well, who if Biden doesn't run, who is the person? One of the reasons it's so hard to envision that person, the one reason nobody has an answer to that is that in these moments, right, there's nobody out there who is like the case maker, uh, who's on TV all the time, really effectively communicating the administration's positions. Like, who is who? If if not Joe Biden, like who's the face? Like Joe Biden is almost like is like eighty. How old is he? Like eighty. 172. <laughs> like he needs. He'll be 173 in March. He needs an army of 50 year old governors and senators and and uh, and and other you know cabinet members. Like this is this is the thing that I I have you know the Trump did really well. Um, Trump had an army of surrogates repeating his talking points, creating their own echo chamber, full on creating their own reality. But also, there's part of the reason that right now, when you ask a group of Republicans in a focus group as I do almost every week, who do you want to see run in 2024? 
and it, if they don't say Trump, you know, they got like a long list of people because there was all these people that became part of sort of the, the Trump cinematic universe. Uh, and and so there's all these people that people know and have like a sense of in a way where with Democrats, they just don't. Well, I so I I disagree a little bit with that because the, the Republican and the Democratic Party are looking for very different things. The Republican Party wants the next star of the Trump cinematic universe. And that's easy to, to to come up with because the entire Trump cinematic universe wants the same three things. That's true. And they're the same people, right? I mean, they, they're, they're a bunch of older white Christians from very specific rural areas, right? The Democratic coalition is much bigger. And what you, what Democrats need is not a media star. They need somebody who is capable of bringing all the disparate parts of their coalition together mm -hmm. and holding that coalition together is the chief, the chief uh, responsibility of their presidential candidate. And that is very separate from like being out on TV. I, I think much more about what the pres what that person looks like. So right? I don't mean you know, TV and, though, but let me just be clear. What I mean is the person, people who are emerging, it doesn't have to be TV. It has to be a sense of somebody emerging who not can just can hold that coalition together, but can expand that coalition. Like, who is the person yeah. presenting an alternative? And I only use the TV as a stand-in for a person that we are becoming familiar with, and we're all saying, well, that person's really good. Well, let me so let me throw a a an idea at you. Mm. I uh, I got to guest host Charlie's show yesterday. It was great. And one of the interesting things James Carville said while we were on was that he thinks he thinks Stacey Abrams has a shot, actually. Oh, my God. He said he's been looking at a ton of data from Georgia and that he wouldn't call her the favorite, but he thinks she's got like a one in three and that 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 race is going to be a little closer than people think. Now, uh, I, I just want to present two counterfactuals. If Stacey Abrams is the sitting governor right now running for re-election, right, if she had won her 2018 race, which she lost by like 100,000 votes or something, sure. right, pretty close. Um, 100,000 is a lot in a state. Go ahead. I think we would all say, oh, that right over there, Stacey Abrams is the type of person who can hold that coalition together, right? Mm -hmm, she would mm -hmm. be a pretty obvious avatar. Yeah. Uh, if she were to win, if she were to unseat Brian Kemp, which – Again, let's just pretend that there's okay. like a one in five chance that this happens. And we would look at somebody like Abrams and say, huh, yes, this person is capable of holding that coalition together because she speaks to a bunch of different different a bunch of disparate parts uh, in how she does it in a way that like Mayor Pete, God love him. I don't think he is capable of doing. I think he's got weaknesses with a bunch of different parts of the coalition and. Uh, and so it's it's fine, you know, who is it who's there, who's capable? I mean, on paper, Kamala should be. Right. But the, the thing is just like in the flesh, it doesn't quite work out because she's just not not as good at this stuff right. uh, as you need to be. So I don't know. It's it, it's hard. It's hard finding something. We have we have a piece that you're going to love that's going to run on Tuesday, making the case for Biden getting out and not running again. Yeah. Uh, who wrote it? Uh, AB. Oh, AB Stoddard AB. wrote it. Yeah, love AB. And uh, anyway, so she she makes a pretty vigorous case, which ultimately I I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she's wrong. But um, you know, it's 
Well, let's, and no, my well, problem I, is, I again, you, you got to find somebody, right? You, you know, who, who is there to, who can hold the coalition together? And I don't know that there's anybody at this point who can hold it together better than Biden can. Uh, but this is, but this is why they should be, this is why they should be triple A-ing uh, a bunch of people right now. Like we should be seeing, uh, and and look, maybe we will because because you're right. So the Stacey Abrams point, what what I think you're really right about is, we will after this election, there will be a bunch of people who either win or lose, and their winning and losing will give them standing as people to speculate about for 24. So. Yeah. Um, if Gretchen Whitmer, for example, in Michigan wins by five points after, you know, kind of a tough, tough COVID experience and but she battles, battles back and she wins by like a significant margin. Uh, that's going to matter. This yeah, is sort of why Warnock holds his seat, right? If Raphael Warnock holds his seat, that'll matter. Uh, you don't want to hear this, but had John Fetterman not had a stroke, if he was still the guy he was six months ago. And he thumps, you know, Dr. Oz by 11 points. Everybody would talk about him. Now, I don't think that's a I, I think that's a non-starter now because yeah. he's got serious health problems. Right. But that would have been right. A that would have been a very viable. That would have been viable for you. But I I, 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 but I hear what you're saying. But let me just say a thing about Stacey Abrams. Um, so first of all, I, I don't think she's going to win. I think Kemp's going to win fine. But. Um, I agree. I, and, and to be clear, I don't want to misrepresent James. James doesn't think that she's the favorite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. James is just saying that she's got a puncher's chance there because he thinks the race is slightly closer than it looks. And that his theory of the case is that in the final week, uh, the race is probably going to break towards Democrats. That's that's what he that that's his theory of this. And if that happens and she's a little closer than we think, then there is a you know, a minority chance that she actually pulls it out. That's, yeah. that's his case. That would be that would be interesting. Um, or that would be that would be if that happened, that would be an insane thing. Here's my thing about Stacey Abrams. She didn't she couldn't have known this at the time. And everyone's going to send me emails about how this is different. But I will tell you, I do not think you can run for president now. I just don't think you can if you are somebody who said uh, that an election was stolen from you. And you're a Democrat. Like, I, I just I think that that she she was trying to make a point about uh, how they had administered the election and the voting rolls. And uh, I think that there um, is some truth to the way that Kemp at the time was both in charge of the election. Like there was there were things about it. But like she refused to concede. Now, she did. Uh, she did like technically concede, but she was like, this isn't over. I don't accept these results. Uh, and regardless of the differences in the uh the context like i just don't i think that in retrospect like based on everything that happened i think that that ends up being like making it impossible for her to run for president i think as a moral matter that may be true i think as a practical matter it probably wouldn't be i think <laughs> that if she if she again we're just pretending that she's elected this time around right she wins this race i mean practically if she decides she wants to run for president, it it doesn't. She doesn't pay any price for that. Yeah, but who who knows? Um, semi fascism. That's that's the semi fascism. Uh, so can we talk a little bit about the <clears throat> about the the Trump DOJ stuff? So we had the 
again, I, I can't believe it's only been a week, but we've had this giant fight over the, the pictures of the documents spread all over the floor and Trump saying, look, they planted that evidence. Those were in my cartons. And this seems to be an admission. Anyway, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on where this is now. But one thing that, again, James, just struck me in my conversation with James yesterday. Uh, he believes that that an indictment is basically inevitable and that Garland from his position right now uh, has committed himself to moving forward with prosecution mm -hmm. just as an analytical matter. Yeah. Thoughts? So, uh, well, I'd love to, uh, I am neither an attorney nor do I, I try not to play one on Twitter um, or on these. James podcasts. is Carvel is, which I, I had sort of forgotten funny. that he went to law school back in the day. Uh, but I have some good friends who are quite knowledgeable on these things. Uh, and one of them uh, had been telling me this whole time, like Trump's not going to get indicted. Like just that's not going to happen. And so you should just not. And and it had it, that had really informed my my level of circumspection uh, and even some of my like I don't know that it's a good idea to prosecute him because if the case is really thin and like it, uh, da, 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 da. that person after the um, I think it was on was it on Monday night or Tuesday night when they dropped uh, the DOJ dropped their sort of response to the request for the grandmaster or whatever who goes through the documents. <laughs> grandmaster Flash. The person texted and said, this is so much worse than I thought. Like this is I, and it was like it was like someone's going to jail. Someone's indicted um, now, whether that is because here's the thing. And this is this was this was actually um, clarifying for me as a layperson trying to understand what's going on. Right. Because all the Twitter attorneys started saying the same thing, which is, OK, someone's in huge trouble. Um, and part of it is that one of the main documents you see, they've redacted the signature, but somebody had signed. So under oath, like it's an oath, you know, like someone had signed to say that all the documents had been retrieved and returned, which turned out to be a lie, which meant you lied to the FBI and obstructed justice. Now, the signature, which is redacted, is, is an attorney's signature, most, you know, most likely. It's not Trump's signature. And so the, the key linkage now, the way that you would get Trump is that you would lean on those attorneys or his attorneys or whatever, because they're all in trouble now. This is why you see so many people being like, the lawyers got to get lawyers, um, because there is this level of obstruction and lying to the FBI, saying that they had returned the documents, saying that it had been complete. The question becomes, did Trump instruct those attorneys to lie? Did Trump know that the documents were still there? Like, how did, like, so right now we've got the lawyer's signatures, but you have to connect it to Trump. And so someone's going to be indicted because somebody obstructed justice, somebody lied to the FBI. The question is, is whether or not they can make a incontrovertible case that it was Trump who did those things. And if they can and they do, like, then they're like everybody that that's why you see people being like, I don't know how you have somebody not get indicted because they all live in a world where if you lie to the FBI and you and you you falsely you sign things to them like not just 
not just lie to them in an interview, but like you lied to them, you've certified things. That is that is a crime, like a real crime. I uh, I'm going to go on a limb here and predict that there is nothing that is possible to be produced, which will convince Brit Hume and Byron York and the rest of these assholes from saying, oh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, Donald Trump himself is linked to this. If you had video of Trump standing behind his lawyer with a gun to the lawyer's head <laughs> saying, sign it, sign it. These guys would say, well, I mean, who knows? That video could be a deep fake, right? I mean, this is there is there is no level of proof, which is enough, right? And there there is do you ever see the movie Red Belt? It's a David Mamet movie about about martial arts. No. And, and, and one, one of the things that uh Twiddle Edgia Four is the lead, and I love him. He's such a great actor. Uh, and one of his mantras is that there is always an escape, right? No matter what what position your opponent has put you in, uh, you may not be able to see it, but there is always an escape. And for Trump, there is always an escape, always. Uh, you know, he, I, he, his lawyer signed it, not him. Uh, his lawyer signed it, and he told the lawyer that it was true, but he thought it was true. So you can't, right? I mean, the, the, no matter how you go, there's another, well, at the time that he said this to the lawyer, he believed it to have been true. Uh, he didn't believe it. To, well, you know, it's because one of his, well, you want Donald Trump himself sitting, going through the boxes? You know, it's the aide who was responsible for for cataloging these things told him this. And so that's why he thought it. There's, there's nothing, nothing you can do that's going to get people to sign on board with the idea that he's guilty. So so I, I maybe agree with Byron York and Britt Hume have become among the most pathetic bad faith syncophants for Trump. Um, have become. <laughs> yeah, have been now for years, right? right, right. Yeah. And, but there's other terrible people, though, who, I mean, I don't know if you've, <laughs> I was trying to read that Andy McCarthy piece. Uh, and he's been on TV. <laughs> he is indistinguishable from Byron York. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he so he he is. But it's funny if you watch someone like him closely, he is saying like, ah, this is pretty bad, actually, uh, for Trump. They, they, and, and yet they, they keep when a it distance. comes down to it. No, no, no. They keep a distance and they'll defend him. But like the people who actually have legal backgrounds are he so I heard him he was on TV and he was saying, Well, there's nothing in the Constitution that says that you can't run for president when you're under indictment or even from jail. The question is whether the American people will think it's okay if you run from jail. And I was like, I would like Donald Trump to run from prison. That sounds great. Um he but he is saying, like if you listen closely, what he's saying is like, I don't know he's probably gonna be under indictment when he's running, because this is bad. What happens when people do this is they get indicted. And so um I don't know that. And I think that the reason. Right. So we had this conversation about trusting Merrick Garland, that he wouldn't pursue this if we didn't if he didn't think both he had him dead to rights and also that what he did, because there's this this other conversation. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's only 300 documents. It's only 3000 documents. It's only three million documents. But I think a lot about how like regular people will consume this information. Right. And because Hillary Clinton. It's sort of like the Stacey Abrams thing, like categorically different in certain ways, but sounds the same, like sort of at the top level sounds the same. Right. So like uh, mishandled 
classified information. They did it in totally different ways. Uh, and Trump's is not just mishandling. Like, he stole it. He took it and then refused to give it back and then lied. Again, we don't, or at least his lawyers did, lied that they had given it back when they hadn't. So different. But what are people going to see? I think that the average MAGA voter is going to say, uh, James Comey refused to prosecute Hillary Clinton for this. Why would Donald Trump get prosecuted for this? 100%. Right? Like that is how it's going to sound. And the the threat, I find the one of the most repulsive, the reason Joe Biden gave the speech and the reason I think, you know, speeches, uh, somebody should be giving these speeches is that the undercurrent of, it's not even particularly under, the current, just the current of violence and the threat of violence. Lindsey Graham going on television and saying like, well, people are going to be in the streets. I mean, they are, they are based, and this is, this is a thing that they've been doing for a long time, right? They take the unhinged nature of a, a percentage of the Trump voters and they try to aim them at their adversaries or they hold oh, them yeah. over as a threat. Proud Boys stands do down and stand by. Right. You know, I always thought that that was a misspeak by Trump. I just always thought that was like an accident. Uh, and that because sometimes I think people sometimes make too much out of things to work. Like when he said because he, he said stand down and stand by. But then I was like, I, like listening to it now. Uh, I still I still don't. It's such a weird choice of words. Like he didn't go in planning to say it like that. But it was like he caught himself in the middle of. Of he said stand down and then he was like no stand right. by right uh, the part is people say like <clears throat> oh he only you know he didn't mean half of that and yes he didn't mean stand down he meant stand by yeah <laughs> right uh, anyway the 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 way that people like Lindsey Graham and those guys are are talking about the threat of violence um, the thing is it's probably true I gotta yeah. I gotta say it is probably true I think. Yeah, the Law and Order Party turns out to, you know, it's very conditional attachment to law and order, right? Just just in the way that their attachment to to law enforcement and the police is conditional. It's they they are in favor of the police when the police are choking out black guys, when the police are serving search warrants on a, a good the right people, then they're a bunch of jackbooted fascist thugs, right? Yeah. But here's where here's where this, then we go back to Biden's speech, right? And and why I actually think your hug it out is so important is is right is the right thing. It is and, and but 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 talk it through because this is this is a hard thing to navigate. Even if you're Biden, right? You have to think about the fact that there is this current of violence. Like the other political party is saying, if the Department of Justice takes action on what is, I think at this point pretty clear. Uh, well. Again, they have to they have not made this case that Trump himself knew it. But let's say we use our informed speculation. Well, we'll do informed speculation and say Trump probably knew Trump was probably directing it, you know, whatever. And again, I, we don't even know why. Right. There's like there's so much to the story. We still don't know. What is the point of lying to the FBI about these documents? Just because like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's a lot of people who are like, well, he's just sloppy. He's just a narcissist. Maybe, maybe that's yeah. true. But I, I don't know. There's still like, it seems like there would need to be a reason to like uh, work so hard to keep these documents. But then 
So if you are about to go into a moment, an unprecedented political moment, just think about think about where we are. Let's see if we can think about the scenario of the future where one party is talking about political violence if the former president is indicted. It is looking more and more like the former president will be indicted with good reason, but also for something that is not like a body in his basement, right? It's like this document thing that the his political opponent in 2016 was also guilty of, though in a very different context and way. So knowing that we're on the precipice of, of an incredibly incendiary political moment, potentially like nothing we've ever seen in the United States, what speech should Joe Biden have given? And this is where I think your point about hugging it out is actually right. Like, I'm not sure that, I think that his only job probably is to bring the temperature down which he's been doing for the most part, right? I mean, this is the, the, his presidency has been an exercise in bringing the temperature down. That's why he didn't do any of the legislative stuff that I wanted him to do, which would have been divisive, right? Adding states and, and all that stuff. Um, he's just gone ahead as a normal, and and this is validating the Sarah the Sarah thesis that there were Republican votes he could get on board with moderate ah, moderate legislation, and uh, and he did that. Right? He's passed a bunch of they, they think they have 10 votes now for the, for the Electoral College Reform Act. Yeah. And they think they have 10 votes for codifying same sex marriage. And, this, you know, this is he's done all the Sarah stuff. I uh, I, I just think back to his that the, the great speech he gave. And I I think it was the outdoor speech after he, you know, that was basically his victory speech in uh, in 2020. Do you remember that? It was like in Delaware. It was everybody was like a big drive-in theater. They were in their cars there. And, uh-huh. Um, I do remember it. That was the sort of like, you know, hey, we're all in this together. Yeah. Speech. And I think that should basically be his rhetorical tone always. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't, again, not because it's right, um, but but because that's what that's what the country needs. Um, but what do I know? Uh it's all bad. And and look, we've been very optimistic, and I don't like that. We should step back from the optimism a little bit. If, <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? If, we were just talking about like how clear it is we're about to face like unprecedented political violence in the face of a former president being indicted. If Trump is indicted, he's absolutely running. Uh, I think the chances of him winning the nomination while under indictment are quite good. Because it, if anything, then it becomes a moral duty for Republicans to vote for him to stick it to the libs and, and trigger them and make them cry, right? Because the libs would like nothing more than to see Republicans nominate Ron DeSantis just because he's not under indictment yet for anything. Um, if we want this, and this is the, the great danger of criminal prosecution, what if you prosecute him and the guy wins, right? I mean, that's that's the... The ab- the sum of all fears, right? Yeah. The the absolute nightmare scenario is that the criminal justice system takes dead aim at a former president of the United States. Their case is basically airtight, and then forty four percent of the country looks at that and says, uh, "Yeah, we want it anyway." And because of their geographic distribution, that forty four percent of the country gets to have their way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, yeah. if that's where we wind up, Katie bar the door. 
right? I mean, I, I, I think it's unlikely. Like, you know, that, that, that train of events requires a whole bunch of things, each of which is a smaller chance than, you know, each of which is a minority chance, not a, not a majority chance. But, man, you wind up in a place like that, uh, good night. There. Now, that was sufficiently dark. That All was, right. Yeah, good that show. Was dark. Good right. show. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about before uh, before we head off? Did you watch Cinderella yet? I was listening to the Cinderella soundtrack in the car mm-hmm. with, with uh, Little E yeah. this week. Uh, and I, I was thinking of you again and how much I think you're going to love it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't watch it. Um, I did fly to and from California, and so I did have some time to watch some things. I finished Better Call Saul, uh, which was fine. Uh, the ending was good, but the uh, the payoffs are subtle, and you got to go through a lot, a lot to get those. That's why I don't do payoffs. TV. Yeah, but there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, and I also watched. This is a stupid one, but it was funny. Uh, there's Tina Fey has like a peacock show it's actually it's like i don't know she's like a producer on it and it's she's in it uh very briefly in a cameo it's called girls five eva and it's got elaine goolsberry she was in hamilton um and also it has sarah Bareilles in it Uh, oh i've seen ads for this uh, Uh, and then it has that has that girl the blonde. My daughters just saw Sarah Bareilles on Broadway this week. You know, yeah. So I, I, I have met Sarah Bareilles. Um, I have a good friend who was like her college, like a great good friend at of UCLA? hers in college. Huh? Yeah. At yeah. UCLA. At UCLA. Yeah. And so I went backstage and saw her after she played the Nine Thirty Club some years ago. I've got pictures with her. Anyway, uh, okay, you got to send me those because I will show my girls and they'll go crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think they might be on Facebook. I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, what is my point? Oh, it is stupid. It's about Girls 5 have a, it's about a teen, a girl's teen band, like a, a who have girl all grown bopper up. band, that, who've all grown up and get, get back together in their 40s. <laughs> and it's that that dumb. sounds actually like it could yeah. be comedic gold. It no? is. There are, yeah, there are, there are just like one-off lines. Like Overall, a lot of it's stupid. And then there'll be like one-off line that's so deadly funny. Uh, it will cause me to laugh for days. So anyway, I binge watched that. Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't watched Cinderella. I'll do it with my kids. I just do it with I, your kids. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's a perfect thing to do with it. Look, we got a we got a long stretch here before school starts. Right, four days that you have to do with with your children before <laughs> school starts. That's a lot of hours to kill. I mean, Phil. I mean, enjoy and treasure as family time. Uh, surely, 90 minutes of those you can. You can take up with Cinderella on Amazon. I'll let you Prime. know. You're pushing hard for this because I know you'll love it. I look how how often do I push hard on something? Not because I like it, but because I'm convinced you will love it as well. It's a very rare bird. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Uh, your kids they they start school Tuesday. They start school next week. Next week. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the best day of the year. It's like <laughs> Christmas for parents. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Take See care, See you later, everybody. best friend. Rebecca, Bye. take us home. 7 a.m. waking up in the morning. Gotta be fresh. Gotta go downstairs. Gotta have my bowl. Gotta have cereal. Seeing everything. The time is going. Ticking on and on. Everybody's rushing. Gotta get down to the bus stop.